Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I think you'll be interested in our discussion today. We're going to talk about a very, very popular author and theologian and pastor, or pastor emeritus to be correct. We're talking about John Piper, who was the pastor for a long time of Bethlehem Baptist Church, and I think that's in Minnesota um, or Michigan, and he is now pastor emeritus since 2013. But someone who has studied him quite a bit and can speak clearly about what he believes is my friend, board member, colleague, former seminary graduate as well, and someone who's working on his D-Men, uh, Doctor of Ministry with Grace School of Theology on this very subject of John Piper's theology. And we're talking about Pastor Phil Congdon. So welcome, Phil. Good to have you with us. Good to be here. Well, we're talking about um, John Piper, and he is a prolific writer. I think he has sold millions of books, um, and he has also shaped a lot of theology and influenced a lot of people theologically, especially when it comes to what we call Reformed theology. Mark Deaver, another pastor in the Reformed tradition, says that John Piper is the single most potent factor in the recent rise of Reformed theology. So can you explain a little bit about uh, where John Piper is coming from as far as his theology is concerned? Let's lay a foundation before we get into specifics, maybe. Well, John Piper, you if you want me to give a general foundation, a very general foundation, John Piper is certainly uh, a Reformed. Uh, Calvinist, um, he, he would uh, he would fall into the mainstream there. He's a strong Calvinist, an unrepentant Calvinist, I guess you would say. Uh, but uh, he's a consistent Calvinist. What I would say, uh, first of all, though, about John Piper is I appreciate, uh, I have appreciated many times listening to him and his passion for uh for god uh, one of the things that we sometimes forget when we get into these theological discussions uh and it's it's possible for all sides i think hopefully less for the grace side than for others but that is that we can condemn people to hell or at least to purgatory for for their theology being um being wrong and I want to be careful about that. Uh, and I don't have any reason to doubt uh, John Piper's salvation. Uh, I think that, uh, frankly, he got his theology through his training, um, and he's developed it perhaps over the years. Uh, and in recent years, uh, sadly, I think that his theology and his presentation of his theology has uh, crossed the line to where um, it, it is not really um, providing a biblical uh, uh, a biblical invitation to the gospel uh, to salvation 
instead, he has really wandered into works. But again, all I need to say at the beginning that I I can still appreciate his heart for the Lord, his heart for missions. Uh, but our message needs to be right. Uh, and if our message gets off track, then it, it doesn't matter how passionate we are. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I also noted how you use the words, he's crossed the line, he's wandered, uh, showing that there's been somewhat of a evolution in his theology. And oftentimes we judge people by some of the errors they may hold to, but uh, they didn't hold those perhaps at the time that they were saved. And so we don't want to question his salvation. We'll leave that to God. Um, but after people get saved, they go down certain, they wander, as you say, down certain theological paths, depending upon the influences in their lives. So I know one of the great influences in his life was Jonathan Edwards and then other ref some other Reformed theologians. Um, in fact, he calls himself a seven-point Calvinist. I'm not sure what the other two points are, but we probably don't need to talk about them anyway. Um, I, you find it a little bit contradictory that he is one of the most popular books in missions is uh, Let the Nations Rejoice, a book on missions that someone from a Reformed tradition would hold. I've always thought that interesting. Uh, yeah, I, well, I think both of us would would find that, that there's a contradiction when you when you hold to a, a belief system that says that Jesus Christ only died for the elect and that uh, the non-elect cannot believe, don't don't have even the capacity to believe, and that God has preordained in eternity past who was going to heaven and who was going to hell. A lot of this it just it shrivels into fatalism, uh, and I realize that uh, other other authors, for example, J.I. Packer, have written on evangelism, uh, and the the basic message that they will give is we should be witnessing for Christ because we are commanded to witness for Christ, and we can maybe we're we're a part of what. God has uh, determined is going to be used in somebody coming to faith, something like that. But frankly, uh, if uh, if I were being blunt, I would say that John Piper's theology and, in general, um, Reformed Calvinist theology is deterministic, and that reduces uh, evangelism uh, from being uh, something that we do in order to bring people to Jesus Christ, to faith in Jesus Christ. It's something that we do uh, simply because we're told to do it, but it doesn't have any real practical purpose. In fact, I, I think I remember when I have read his book, and it's been a few years, that that is his uh, rationale is that we evangelize and do missions because God commands it and not because we love people. And because I think what he's reflecting is his view that God doesn't love everyone and that God only loves the elect. So he can't say that we would go into the world because we love the world, but simply because God commands us to. On the other hand, I don't see how that 
solves his conundrum of we go to everyone, but we can't tell them that God loves them. We don't know that if we're coming from his position, and we can't tell them that Jesus died for them if we believe in a limited atonement, as Calvinism teaches, and so forth. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, a lot of contradictions uh, can come out of him. But you've done a lot of reading uh, in his in his most popular book also is called um, Desiring God, and he coins this term Christian hedonism. Do uh, you understand what he means by Christian hedonism? Well, you know what? I, I'm sure that if he were listening to me, he would say, oh, you, you haven't accurately or, or very well presented it. But uh, it's something that, by the way, he got uh, in part, I think, from Daniel Fuller when he was in seminary. Uh, he took Daniel Fuller. Daniel Fuller wrote um, a book called uh, The Unity of the Bible. And I don't want to lose your listeners, so I'll, I'll try to simplify this pretty much. But uh, Daniel Fuller in the book, The Unity of the Bible, that there is a, a morphing of the idea of what it means to believe. And what it means to believe is to really take joy in or rejoice in or um, that's where the hedonism, hedonism comes in. The idea that you get to just uh, this is what you want to do. Um, so you are going to, uh, if you are elect, if you are really saved, then this is you getting to, to just have your passions and you are going to fulfill your passions and this is what you're going to love. And so he will talk often about you need to uh, just have joy. If you take total joy in everything that there is to do with the Lord, um, then yes, that is uh, that would be a sign that you are saved. Uh, so, and this is right in the core uh, with his desiring God. What do you desire? Well, there are a lot of desires in our human experience. Uh, I have a desire for food when I'm hungry. Uh, we have a desire for a pleasure. We have a desire for whatever. Uh, I think uh, security and significance and things like that, that psychologists have, have given us. So we have all these desires, but he says that all of those should be subsumed or, or lower than our desire for God. And when you have that desire, then that is uh, that is what faith is. Um, and again, because he has written so much about this and says so many different things, it makes it really difficult. But let me let me try to uh, cross a bridge here. So oh, by the One way, I the, think that's a good explanation of Christian hedonism. Which I always find hard to explain to people, but uh, yeah, go ahead. The the thing is, is that once you have made it subjective like that, so that instead of what I would say to somebody who uh, is not a Christian, um, a couple of just uh, ten days ago, I uh, sat in my office with a guy, and 
He had been raised Roman Catholic. He knew everything about Jesus and so forth, but he had never trusted in Christ and didn't know anything uh, really about that. And I explained the gospel to him. And uh, you and I would would understand when I say I gave him the bad news, good news. This is Larry Moyer's uh, approach. I just went straight through the gospel with him and asked him, is there any reason why you would not want to trust Christ as your Savior right now? And he said, no. And so I, I said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead? Do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? Yes. I said, well, that's great. Let's pray and let's tell the Lord thank you for that. And now this guy, uh, that's the end of it. I, there's no more. I didn't say to him, well, we'll see tomorrow how you're doing, and then we'll we'll analyze whether or not you've really uh, believed or not. I asked him pretty much a cognitive question. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And that believing becomes the full transaction for justification, justification by faith. But once you have made it subjective and you say, no, it's it's your desires, how are your desires doing? Well, my desires aren't going to be the same all the time. They're going to change. And sometimes I'm my desires are going to be wrong and sometimes they're going to be right. And so what happens is that by reducing this to this subjective level, assurance of salvation is always an issue. So John Piper, in his when he was pastoring, um, he said that, uh, and this was in a, a presentation at Ev- Evangelical Theological Society, where he said that, that it is an epidemic in his church that people want to know uh, whether or not they are in. And he said it's not an issue of whether or not they believe that Jesus died on the cross or not, or whether he rose from the dead. They believe that. The question is, will they go to heaven when they die? And because this is based on a subjective evaluation of how your passions are going and how your desire is going, then the issue of assurance of salvation is unending. Let me break in right there. So does he tie desiring God to one's salvation? Yes. If you're not desiring God, then you're not saved. Yeah, well, boy, there are a lot of... um, Well, understand, too, uh, that for those that are following along here, this has to do with the perseverance of the saints, and that's the the P of the tulip of Calvinism. And the idea of perseverance is, and his def- definition of perseverance would be this passion, this desire for, for everything that is God, desiring God. That's what it, it is. Uh, and because that perseverance of the saints is automatic. That is, it is, if you are truly saved, you will persevere. Well, because our desires fluctuate, because we are weak some days, some days we are strong, the result is that 
you you're going to doubt was i really saved or not and that, and that's that, what happened that doctrine of perseverance affects his doctrine of justification does it not absolutely can you tell us what his doctrine of justification is well yeah his doctrine of justification has changed in in some recent years um uh boy i there i've got a a few examples of this that I, I thought I would read you, but one that he just, he wrote an article or it was actually um, a, a, I think it was a response uh, called, how do you get into heaven? Uh, and, and by the way, you're going to hear uh, if I mention some of the titles of, of his articles, you go on Desiring God and just start looking at all the articles. You can type in Assurance of Salvation, and you will see that there are dozens and dozens about how you can know um, what you need to do to be assured and so forth. But this article, How Do You Get Into Heaven, uh, he wrote uh, bluntly, says you don't get into heaven by faith alone. Now, okay, that's you say that that's that's pretty stark, but listen, the next sentence is going to confuse you. You get justified by faith alone. Hmm. So now you have understand that for John Piper today now, and I think this has probably been uh, something's developed here because he used to be less clear than this, but now he bluntly will say, you are justified by faith alone, but you get into heaven. And let me read his words. In order to get into heaven, that faith must bear the fruit of love. Now, you know, okay, what is the fruit of love? Hmm. Well, that could change. Maybe you think it's one thing, and I think it's another, but all of a sudden, it's not by faith it is by the works uh and boy i tell you what there's some fascinating things here let me read one more thing that he wrote this is in a, a foreword uh, that he wrote for a book by tom schreiner called faith alone you may have heard this before but he writes in this how can a person be right with god the stunning christian answer is sola fide faith alone you're thinking, great, I love it. Yeah. Just read on. He says, and I quote now, but be sure you hear this carefully and precisely. He says, right with God by faith alone, not attain heaven by faith alone. There are other conditions for attaining heaven, but no others for entering a right relationship to God. In fact, one must already be in a right relationship with God by faith alone in order to meet the other conditions. Boy, is that confusing. Now, yeah, I, I let me illustrate it this way. It's kind of like uh, in the recent NBA draft lottery. In order to have a chance to get the number one pick 
in the lottery. By the way, the San Antonio Spurs got that pick, so there's great joy here in uh, <laughs> San Antonio. But in order to get that, you had to uh, be one of the teams with the uh, five, I think it was the five worst records in the league. So this was a negative thing, but you could get in if you were one of the five worst. So if you will, let me just use that as an illustration. In order for you to get into heaven, in order to get into the lottery, if you will, to get into heaven, you first have to be justified by faith. And then if you are justified by faith, then you have a chance by doing good works and doing enough of them that on judgment day, you will, the gate will open and you will enter heaven. Of course, the dark side of that is, is that you may have trusted Christ as your savior, believed in Jesus, and then you didn't do enough and you will be condemned to eternal hell. Doesn't he hold to initial justification and then a final justification, two yeah. stages, uh, much like Roman Catholicism? Uh, he does. He, I, at least in most of the writings, he will not refer to it that way. Um, but um, it it is very fascinating. Uh, and I know this is going to be confusing for some people uh, as they're listening. That they're going to say, I, I don't get it. If you're justified... By faith, isn't that being declared righteous? Uh, isn't that receiving eternal life? Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Uh, you know, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Those those verses uh, for John Piper, because uh, believing for him is the beginning. He would say, yeah, you have to believe to get eternal life, but you also have to do those good works in order to uh, to get into heaven on the last day. So obviously he probably does not believe in a separate judgment seat of Christ. He conflates the final judgment with the judgment seat of Christ and therefore works becomes a basis for eternal salvation. Is that right? Yeah. In fact, let me just say something about that works and, and that judgment. Um, uh, this is uh, something for people to understand about how do you interpret Scripture. Um, in your book, um, Grace, I'm sorry, I'm getting Grace, the, Salvation, the, and Discipleship. Grace, Salvation, and Discipleship. What you have done is you go through there passage by passage by passage, and you are saying, okay, look at these options here. One of the basic options in almost every one of those passages, whether it's a command or a warning, the, the option is this. Either that is a command or a warning, which if you fail to heed, you go to hell or if you do heed it, you go to heaven, or it's in a different category. It's in a category of you either gain rewards or lose rewards, or you either gain blessing or you are judged. And everything, I, I mean, this is, I would say, 99.9% .9 of the warnings and commands in the New Testament 
and even those you would extract from the narrative of the Old Testament, all of them have to do with salvation for him. They all have to do right. with eternal life. And right. therefore, uh, you know, the, the gospel all of a sudden spills out into every area of your life. Uh, and, and it's not believing on the Lord Jesus and you are saved. Not that simple message. It now becomes a very complex and virtually impossible to define um, statement. So again, quoting John Piper now, let me just read here again. He writes, love and obedience, inherent righteousness is required of believers, not for justification. It is required for heaven, not for entering a right standing with God. So this is baffling, Charlie, but he has been very clear. You can be right with God you can have a right standing with God, you can be justified, and you will go to hell if you don't do enough good works. Now, he used the term inherent righteousness as if our own righteousness then earns us salvation, which is contradictory to what Paul teaches in Philippians chapter 3, that he considers all his righteousness as rubbish or scubala. Yeah. yeah. Or, or in the Old Testament, uh, your righteousness, your best righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Uh, and, and again, that too is a very graphic term. Um, and, and, and listen, can I just say something here? The inconsistency in John Piper will be very frustrating for people who read his books. You will read one page and you will say, Hey, praise the Lord. That's so great. That uh, that really inspires me to, to want to live for Christ. And then you'll turn the page, and it's almost like he pulls the rug out from under you, and you're, you're reading that page and saying, I don't even know if I'm saved. <laughs> you know, that's, that's true. I was reading something about assurance from him recently. And he said something like this. He said, and this is just a paraphrase. He said, assurance is based on the promises of God in his word. And all true believers can have assurance. So he gives it in one sense by believing in God's word. But then he uses that little qualification. All true believers can have assurance. And then he goes on to talk about how do you know if you're a true believer? It's by examining your, your life and yourself. So it's not really based on the promises of God and his word. It's based on in uh, self-inspection, self-examination, and uh, the level of works that we perceive in ourselves, which of course is relative and subjective. So I can see why his church, as you started out saying, struggles with the issue of assurance. How did he say that again? His, by his own admission? Yeah, by his own admission. She said that that is what people are want to know. Am I in? Uh, and he said, he, his in his own words again i'm not quoting him now but he just said that this was when he was pastoring this was every sunday people would want to know this kind of a thing they wanted evidence um and, and listen as long as you look for evidence of whether or not you're going to heaven and you need that evidence to have assurance you will not have assurance you just won't yeah is it uh, is it true 
that I seem to have read somewhere where he says, sometimes when I look at the way I treat my wife, I doubt whether I'm saved or not. That's actually a quote from him in about 2007. He was uh, speaking at Evangelical Theological Society Conference, and I can quote it almost exactly. He said, sometimes the fact that I sin against my wife today the same way I did 20 years ago causes me to doubt my salvation. Hmm. Now, when he said that, um, and there were probably a, close to a thousand people in this big auditorium, there's almost a hushed sense of awe that he would be so humble as to admit his own shortcomings. But what he is doing there, and, and if you think about it, if he doubts his salvation really, if he doubts it, if he is really wondering whether he is going to hell or to heaven, then you shouldn't be standing up and and speaking glibly or even uh, somewhat impassively about, you know, I, you know, causes me to doubt my salvation. You should be on the ground. If I were seriously in doubt whether eternity for me would be hell or heaven, if I doubted that, I could not exist. Uh, I, I really believe that the, the reason why these Calvinists will say this and just move right on is because they believe that somehow because of their adhering to Calvinistic doctrine and, and their preaching, that surely they're going to make it. The problem is, is that the people that are down here where I am, where the rubber meets the road, these are not people who, you know, are piling up, you know, Christian books and radio programs. These are people who are struggling with broken marriages and uh, alcohol and struggling with sin in their lives. And for them to hear that, for them to hear somebody who is, in their eyes, virtually a saint, to say, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. That is devastating. That well, would can, just devastate them. You can see why. Can I he, give an illustration of this? Yeah, I was just going to say, you can see why his congregation is thrown into a tailspin about their own assurance of salvation. But go ahead with your illustration. Well, th this is from an audio transcript. Uh, and he he had for many years on, on his Desiring God, uh, they would have people send in letters and call in, and he would take these things, and, and then, of course, he would listen to them, and then he would respond. Listen to this. This is from a pastor in uh, the UK. Dear Pastor John, thank you for your ministry. I've listened to every one of your Asking Pastor John episodes and have found them to be a great blessing. My question. Okay. This is uh, from a guy who knows his teaching well. I understand the Bible to teach that a true Christian is one who perseveres to the end, and in the sad circumstances 
where someone professes faith, but then falls away, they were never a true Christian. For myself, I fully believe that I have been saved by Christ. You notice how he's almost convincing himself. I fully believe that I have been saved by Christ, and I see the fruit of this in my life. However, as a longtime pastor, I am sure you know of people who would also have been convinced that they were truly born again and would have appeared to bear fruit in their lives, but later showed that they were not truly saved by abandoning the faith. So, if my salvation is only truly and finally evidenced by my perseverance, how much weight can I attach to God's promises? Hmm. My favorite Bible verse is Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Christ Jesus which is a really a butchering the context yeah. of that verse, but that's okay. Yeah. And then he ends up with these words. But how can I know that this is true for me when it is only when I have run the race set before me that I will truly know if I did persevere and therefore was truly saved? And you see that this is this is a man who is in agony because he is seriously and sincerely seeking to know, but he he is absolutely correct. According to John Piper, until you die, you won't know. You will not have any idea whether you are really saved or not. It's a very well articulated question by that pastor. But it does show the the problems with that kind of theology that offers no assurance to those who have believed. So uh, do you have any other insights into his view of assurance? Yeah, there there are a lot of things. And some of these things uh, I was thinking about uh, sharing with you today. Uh, But... I don't want to lose people, but I'll just uh, pick pick a pick, pick a couple of the the best gems. Well, first of all, let me just say that John Piper is really obsessed with with this uh, this issue. Uh, I sat down a few minutes ago and I just started typing out titles. These are all titles from Desiring God website, and these are all things that he's responded to, written about. These are the titles. Here, I'll just read the first one, The Agonizing Problem of the Assurance of Salvation. Hmm. That's the title. Hmm. Next, Am I Completely Surrendered to Christ? Of course, if you're not, you're not going to heaven. Mm -hmm. Are you really a Christian? Authentic versus phony faith. Can I be sure I'm saved if persevering is the proof? Can I focus too much on myself for assurance of salvation? Can I have assurance without joy? Can the regenerate be erased from the book of life? Confirm your election. Do you struggle with doubts? The earnest pursuit of assurance. 
how do I tell a professing believer I don't think he is saved? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know if the Spirit is in me? How can I tell if I'm really saved? How can I know if my repentance is genuine? And this just goes on and yeah, on. Yeah, it's amazing. On. He really is so obsessed. Imagine with in your ministry, uh, you know, maybe you know, pastors will be listening to this. Imagine if you're in 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 your ministry, you're the people to whom you preach never know whether they are actually in the family of God, whether they are going to heaven when they die. Well, what you do is you create, uh, it's a, it's just a revolving misery because people are struggling and striving because they want to, uh, they want to know. We, de we desire to know. That's amazing. That now there's another. He doesn't do a sermon series with those titles. We could go deep in this, but uh, you just stop me if I'm losing you. <laughs> but John Piper has uh, one of the ways that he will uh, say that this works is that if you are truly a believer, then God is one hundred percent. I need to read it so that I'm not just making this up. Good. Uh, 100% for them, so that God's now on your team. And this is the way that you will persevere. You'll persevere because God isn't going to let you ever fall away. Okay? Well, mm -hmm. in one of his articles, <laughs> it was entitled, How Do You Get Into Heaven? Um uh, he talks about this, and, and a question had come up. The question was, what if a person thinks that they are saved, that they have believed, and they think then that God is 100% for them, but he's not really 100% for them? Hmm. And I have to read this because this is baffling. Uh, he says, and I'll read. Let me just read what he says. The problem here, he says, uh, if God is 100% for us by faith alone, uh, how can any believer ever fail? Piper responds this way. It's baffling. He says, some people try to put sin to death and pursue holiness. So he says, okay, you believe in Jesus, and you're doing this on your own. You're trying to put sin to death. You're trying to pursue holiness. But, and he goes on, he says, they are not fully accepted. They are not fully forgiven. They are not fully righteous in Christ. That means, in other words, they have not really been justified by faith. So while God, for those who are truly justified by faith, they benefit from God being 100% for them. Those, and this is just amazing, those who mistakenly think that they have faith in Jesus, but don't, and I'm quoting, God is not 100% for them. Maybe only 95% for them. <laughs> uh, and that, I just, I read that and it, 
it's amazing. So that his in his worldview of soteriology, you or I could be so self-deceived that we believe in Jesus, we are living our lives for Christ, we're in ministry for Christ, but we're doing it actually in our own strength, in our own power, and God will help us 95%, hmm. but he will not help us 100%. And we will be condemned. So, and these are his words. These self deceived people will be putting sin to death and pursuing holiness as a means of getting to heaven. But for him, that's wrong. You're supposed to believe, and then God does that work in you, and he's a hundred percent for you. Uh, Honestly, uh charlie it's very you got difficult me confused <laughs> to, to understand this you got me confused well yeah it, I, I i knew i was probably going to that that one article it was an amazing read because what he was doing was giving the psychology that is um what is the, the what is the psychology of a person who you know he really wants to know whether he's saved or not how do you how do you know that? And so uh, John Piper would say, you need to verbally tell God that you believe in him and that you're, you really want to serve him with all of your life and tell it to others. Uh, and then uh, pray that God will give you the gift of assurance of yeah. salvation. That's amazing. You know, he asks all the questions or directs us to ask all the questions that the Bible never asked. Did you really believe? Are you really saved? Did you really repent? Do you really love God? Those are not questions that the Bible asks uh, because they really, really cannot be answered in an objective way. So it does leave people in limbo. And I feel I feel kind of distressed and sad that so many people have followed him. Let me shift gears a little bit. Why do you think he is so popular? He sold over a million books. Well, he is an excellent writer. Uh, I enjoy, uh, I mean, some of his books. I, I find that he is able, he's a wordsmith, shall we mm -hmm. put it that way, so that there are people who are able to present um, a theology in such a way that it is, not clearly comprehensible. Um, if I would con, I would contrast him in the extreme. For example, with uh, with our old prof, Doctor Ryrie. Doctor Ryrie had a gift of making complex theology simple. Um, yes. What Doctor Piper does is uh, theology. His theology, he paints it with stained glass window colors and organ music playing so that it sounds uh, wonderful. It sounds uh, sublime. Uh, and unless you stop and carefully read, and it takes time, uh, his book, Future Grace, is an utterly incomprehensible kind of a book to read because you're putting your faith in future grace, 
not grace now, mm-hmm. but future grace. Which would kind of be like hoping that you're at the final judgment, you will have grace then. Hoping that you made it. But what does that mean? Uh, and the, the sad result is of this, I think that because he is such a passionate speaker, anybody who's heard John Piper speak, you know that he speaks with with passion every time he speaks. Every uh, every passage has a, a truth that is critically important. And frankly, if I believed what he believed, uh, then every passage would be critically important. Every sermon, every passage in the Bible would have a truth that could determine the eternal destiny of my listener. He is a charismatic speaker. He's also charismatic in theology, I believe. And um, he has influenced a lot of people. He speaks at these large rallies. I often wonder if all the people are reading his books and all the people that hear him speak and admire him, if they have grasped his message behind the stained glass and church music and so forth, as you mentioned uh, as a metaphor or illustration. Do they really understand what he's saying? I think those who really do, like that articulate pastor in UK, have come to the point of how do I know I'm saved? But otherwise, he's very interesting to listen to, very challenging towards committing ourselves to the Lord. Uh, but I wonder if they've been able to discern what he's really saying from his Calvinistic perspective. I'm sure that some of them have. Um, uh, I, we, there's a couple in the church uh, here in New Braunfels that is. Uh, that for two years uh, attended his church when he was pastoring there uh, some years back, Bethlehem um, Baptist Church, I believe it is, in Minneapolis. And um, uh, and they, they loved his attention to Scripture. That is, he will always uh, teach from Scripture. He will always go to the words. Uh, he will focus on grammar syntax he he's he's very good that way uh what is really interesting is that um if you just put uh again the warnings or the commands of scripture into the same basket as believe on the lord jesus and you will be saved if you put them all into that then as you are doing your exegesis and your exposition, you're going to be teaching entirely erroneous doctrine, even though you are paying close attention to the words. And that makes John Piper's preaching and his writing, I would say, very dangerous. It's very dangerous because it's subtle and you don't even realize what you are getting. If he would come right out, and by the way, Charlie, he's done this more in recent years, but if he would just come right out and say, unless you persevere in the faith, you were never saved in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether or not you are going to heaven was determined in eternity past. Everything you do has been determined. And so if you're not elect, you don't have a prayer anyway things like that. If if Calvinists would come out and say that, then I think people would run for the doors. 
<laughs> but because yeah. they cloak it in that spiritual terminology, and we do want to pursue holiness, if people who love the Lord, they want to be reminded and called to, to pursue holiness, then I think there's something in our human nature that wants to have somebody tell us how to live. Uh, yeah. This, I think in Roman Catholicism, this is what holds millions there. You have a very clear set of rules. Do these things, um, whatever. Uh, and if you do, you're in the good standing of the church, and you will, you know, of course, in the end, they believe they'll, they're all going to purgatory in order to burn off what they didn't do. Uh, but I think in a similar way for John Piper, uh, people will follow him because they think that if they stay close to him, they're in pretty good shape when the final judgment comes. Well, Phil, we sh we want to respect your time, and so we should wrap this up. But I'm just thinking here, those are good cautions about him. Some people are deep into his books, but you have read him extensively, analytically, and critically. If you were to write, write a reader's guide for John Piper's readers, what would you caution them about? How do you interpret him to understand what he's really saying? I, it's, I'm not sure. That's a, a, a tough question because different books are very different. <laughs> Um, I would just say the same thing I would say if you were reading, say, John MacArthur, uh, some of his books, um, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, you know, some of these other reformed writers. Uh, I can enjoy reading many things that they say when they talk about the deity of Christ or the authority of Scripture. That's great. But you must be always on the alert for an expression of uh, the gospel that includes in some way our, our works, our ongoing works, our perseverance, our faithfulness. And whenever those things uh, are mentioned, you have to be so alert to that that you're able to market and say no or something in uh, off to the side because they just they come and they go and uh, it's like a, I once uh, I remember uh, the story a true story of a, of a woman who um, who poisoned I think her husband to death but she did it over a period of time by bringing him cups of coffee that she had put little bits of arsenic into something like that. And, uh, and eventually his body got weaker and weaker and weaker and he died. Um, and it was interesting. They, they found it out because evidently your hair grows and they can find out mm -hmm. from your hair mm -hmm. how long ago something started coming into your system. And they found that out. In a similar way, I think that if somebody is reading just benignly, just reading for devotions, uh, a John MacArthur or a John Piper, uh, Francis Chan, uh, some of these other people, if you're reading them, uh, you need to be alert. 
because that arsenic of works is going to be subtly just fed into the gospel message. And Very good. It will, it will wear you down. Uh, it's worn me down. It's <laughs> very difficult reading John Piper. You just say, oh, brother. It's just, it puts a weight on you because the the freeing gospel of Jesus Christ is, is going to be um, added to. Um, you know what Jesus said in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, and yeah, just keep that on a plaque on the wall in front of you while you're reading Piper. <laughs> well, why don't we close by letting you tell us what you think the basis for assurance of salvation is? Well, my my basis for my assurance is entirely in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, not for mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that on the basis of his finished work and that alone, there is that is the only basis for salvation. I would understand justification being declared righteous in God's sight so that uh, the moment that I receive by faith uh, what Jesus did, on the cross, so that uh, John 1, 12, as many as received him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I believed in his name. I have become a child of God. If I look at my life, I will say some days, boy, praise the Lord. I was really walking with the Lord today. There'll be other days when I'll say, I today was not a good day. But I don't base my eternal life on what I've done. I base it entirely on what Jesus did and his promise. Well, good. Well, thanks, Phil, for putting that cherry on top. We appreciate your time today. And uh, we'll tell people a little about you in the introductory text so they can appreciate you, your work and some of your messages at the church there. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate Grace Life and all you've done and all of your books. Um, so, and, and I, I want you to know I'm not a fisherman, but I sure have read and enjoyed some of the stories. I have a son who loves fishing, and I gave him a copy of, of your book on fishing stories. So oh, that's, that's good to hear. Well, we appreciate you, Phil, taking your time today, and we'll let people know how they can hear more from you. Phil's got a book out on uh, a commentary on First Corinthians that is excellent called The Church in the World. He's also contributed to a book, Living by Grace, both published by Grace Theology Press. Phil's pastor at New Brunsville Bible Church, and we'll give you that website so you can hear some of his messages. But he's been especially focused on John Piper because he's working on that for his doctoral studies. So we're glad that you joined us today. And uh, as always, we want to be sure that you share this with others. It might really set some people free. We also encourage you to leave a comment or give us a good rating. And, you know, you can easily get to our podcast by downloading our Grace Life app. It's If you look it up, it's GL Ministries, 
And that app gives you access to all of our resources, including this podcast. So thanks for listening until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.